This is Lee Cure, a podcast for conversations from the heart of the continent on Indigenous languages, music, culture, and art in the Age of Reconciliation. Thank you, merci, and miigwech for listening. Anin Oju Tansi. I am Brina Link, the communications assistant for Lee Cure, Heart of the North. And hello, I'm Hannah Connolly, the production assistant. To give some context to this podcast, Lee Cure, Riel's Heart of the North is a dramatic musical written by Métis poet and librettist Dr. Suzanne Steele and composer Neil Wisenzel. The words Lee Cure mean the heart in the Métis language of Machif. Dr. Steele is writing the text of Lee Cure in the indigenous language of Anishinaabe Moin, which is the language of the Soto and Ojibwe peoples, and three dialects of Lee Michifs, as well as French and English. This project is in collaboration with a large team of Indigenous translators, Deborah Beach Ducharme, Donna Beach, Dr. Agathe Chartrand, Joyce Dumont, Dr. Lorraine Cachula-Vallée, Suzanne Zeka, Dr. June Bruce, Jules Chartrand, and Vernon de Montigny, as well as our archivist, Vic Froze. This musical explores the love and lives of Louis Riel's pre-resistant life the Métis and kin of the heart of the 1870s continent on fire with change. This production honors the enduring strength of Indigenous and Métis women. Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in today to episode four of our podcast. Today we will be sharing our conversation with co-director and composer of Lee Cure, Riel's Heart of the North, Neil Weissensel. Neil Weissensel is an opera composer and conductor based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. His eight critically and popularly acclaimed operas have been performed over 240 times across Canada and the United States. He has collaborated with artists such as Michael Bublé and performed for Al Gore, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and a host of other luminaries. Neil serves as a professor of theory and composition at the Canadian Mennonite University in Winnipeg, where he lives with his wife, Rachel, and daughter, Miracle. Well, thank you for being here, Neil. We're excited to talk to you about some interesting stuff, I'm sure. So we have a very important icebreaker question. Um, we didn't send this to you ahead of time, so prepare to be surprised. Uh-oh. But me and Brino were talking yesterday, and there's one thing we really need to know about you. How was it working with Michael Bublé? Please tell us. <laughs> 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 yes, it was very exciting. Uh, I, you know, like most gigs in the music business, I knew somebody that he knew, and I was in Vancouver, and he was putting on a show, and he needed an arranger, and it was a young woman I had worked with in Winnipeg as a child, actually. And uh, she was in the show, and she said, oh, you should go talk to Michael Bublé. Like, he's, you know, I think he's going to be something. He's got people... So anyways, we went and met, I went and met him and uh, his manager and he sang, he sang, we were talking about something, he sang a little bit of a fly me to the moon and it was like the voice was all around us and I was like, how did you do that? It was like, I knew that he kind of had this, this special power. So then I, I arranged a whole set worth of big band music for him. And uh, we performed it at the PNE, and uh, one of the songs that we wrote together got into a uh, was on a film. And yes, it was uh, it was very very exciting. He's a very very nice guy. He's very much like his public persona. He's just he's a super nice guy. That's awesome. Hmm. Would you say you kind of um, started with him at the beginning of his career? Yes, definitely before oh. anybody knew who he was. 
Oh, that's neat. Okay. Because he was from Canada, so that was kind of just... Yeah, he's from Burnaby. Yeah. Oh. The local before he got... Yeah. Before he got big and (laughs) went all over the world. That's right. Cool. Well, I think that satisfies our curiosity. (laughs) Yes, it does. Okay, good. (laughs) Okay. So, so Neil, could you tell us a little bit about how Lee Cure started? Well, back in 2015, I was thinking about... um, Manitoba's 150th anniversary of entering into Confederation in 2020. I'm always a lo- I'm a long-range planner, and I also thought for Canada's centenary, which was 2017, I thought, oh man, I hope they're not going to dredge up that awful Louis Riel opera by Harry Summers <laughs> and Maver Moore. And so I want to I want uh, and uh, that is what happened, as you heard from James, your previous mm-hmm. guest, and I I wanted. Mm-hmm. An, an alternate. I wanted them to have a choice, but mm-hmm. I mean, it took a long time to uh, to get the funding together to uh, to do this project. So by the time you know the, the, the that 2017 rolled around Canada centenary, it was it was already too late. But that was why, uh, because I I wanted I wanted a story about him told in a better way than what had been done in the past. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. really fascinating. What made you search out Dr. Suzanne Steele to be your co-director? Well, you know, I uh, I I knew that this was not my story to tell, but mm-hmm. I knew uh, that also that I, uh, you know, this is opera number eight, eight for me, and I, I know that I'm good at writing operas. That's the one thing I do really well. And so I, I knew I had to find... Uh, a Métis person to tell the story. So uh, we share the same agent, as it turns out, Ian Arnold in Toronto. Hmm. And uh, I was looking around. He said, oh, you should try Suzanne. She's just had this great success with the uh, uh, Calgary Symphony, this piece that she wrote, Requiem for a Generation, and um, uh, which went to Toronto Symphony and Vancouver Symphony. It was just, you know, it was a beautiful piece. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's how we got together. Hmm. That's really cool. Uh- and so from there, you guys decided to go on a research trip. Is that well? The first the thing we did or? was like uh, there was a so because of of Canada One Hundred and Fifty, there was a uh, a new uh, fund that the Canada Council had put aside called the the uh, New Chapter Fund, basically telling a new mm-hmm. chapter of Canadians of Canada's story. So that mm-hmm. was so we were eligible to apply for that and we did apply for that and we received that grant which was a shock to both of us she actually <laughs> she got the acceptance letter and she didn't open it for two weeks until I got the, a copy of the letter and she just couldn't open it she was too nervous and so I opened it for <laughs> us and, and we had gotten the grant it was like oh my god this is going to just change our lives and that that it did and uh, there was only there was a nine percent success rate on this grant, so uh, we scored hmm. very highly amongst fierce competition. Yeah. Every single nice. composer and artist I knew had 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 tried to get this grant, and we were the only music grant that was awarded of this kind in Manitoba. So I'm pretty proud of that. And uh, it was a big grant, and it allowed us to go on this giant research trip. Uh, Suzanne logged ten thousand kilometers. My family and I logged about eight thousand kilometers driving up to Batoche and then through Montana and back through the Dakotas. And I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. That does sound pretty beautiful. It must have been very interesting and intriguing, the stuff you learned and figured out. 
Yes, I wish totally. I was there. <laughs> the, the people we met, I had some. I had some music lessons. I had a fiddle lesson from Tristan, Tristan Derusher, who is doing that uh, that fast right now at Regina, mm-hmm. in Regina. And uh, he was a super sweet guy. And I heard uh, a bunch of amazing musicians and dancers at back to because I went to it was back to Batosh, which was the big celebration there, as well as visiting the historical site. So, yeah, it was just uh, lots of great food and music and dancing. It was really, really fabulous. That's awesome. So what has it been like working on an Indigenous-led project as a non-Indigenous person? You know, that's a great question, and I get asked that question a lot. And, um, you know, I have to be honest and say this is the most challenging of the eight operas I have composed but also it's profoundly it's like profoundly changed my worldview i had to really kind of dig deep to examine and lay bare my own biases for instance you know i'm i realizing my privilege i'm a white heterosexual male and i also mm-hmm. now realize that colonization has negatively affected the way i think and mm-hmm. you know to to realize that colonization affects us all and impacts us all it's to try to get to the bottom of that is is pretty amazing it's like colonization for me is like a fish like a fish would say what's water it's all around the fish but it doesn't even know it right <laughs> and uh, yeah, colonization yeah. has been around for so long most of us don't even see it it's, you know what it, and i was thinking it's kind of like the matrix <laughs> it's kind of like that it is like that it, it makes sense yeah and but once you realize it's there you can start to notice how it, how it kind of permeates all the levels of our society, our institutions, mm-hmm. and, and people of all backgrounds. And when you come to that realization, it's, it's pretty scary, but I feel like the tide is kind of turning now, and more and more people from all kinds of backgrounds, from mm-hmm. settlers to newcomers, um, and uh, obviously indigenous people, and, and, and all kinds of, every stripe of people across the country are now talking about it. So I think that's a good thing. I think just to realizing that it's there is a big, is a big deal. And you know, just to go a little bit deeper, everything that happened in the states with the murder of George Floyd and the and the mm. Black Lives Matter, I think colonization is is a part of that problem. So I'm trying to do my small part uh, to do whatever I can. I'm, I'm you know I'm buying Indigenous literature and uh, music. I'm supporting my friends and colleagues who are indigenous artists across the country and I'm I'm just trying to keep I'm just trying to do what I can to help out that's mm-hmm. awesome it's like, like it's like you have a fresh eye on things and you're really working totally. towards that that's beautiful that, and awesome. and the mm-hmm. and the, the piece gave me the fresh eyes because all the research I did all the reading I did all the people I met I met it totally changed who I am so in that way the piece has been mm-hmm. very very powerful and fulfilling for me that's really interesting I I like kind of how you pointed out that, yeah, colonization is something that happens like within us as well as outside. And I think that in the process of decolonization, we can often look to like external things that need to change. But we also all have to go on our own journeys um, and recognize, yeah, how it has affected our own minds and attitudes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. very true. I agree with that. So what Mm -hmm. steps have been taken to ensure that Indigenous consultation is highlighted throughout the creative process of Lee Care? That's another really great question. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, one step that we took is we do have a memorandum of understanding that kind of lays out 
the conditions for uh, the Indigenous consultation. Me personally, I become a better better listener uh, through working on this project with Suzanne and, uh, and the other Indigenous project, uh, artists that are involved. And at its core, for me, it's really about the respectful listening and mm -hmm. to be prepared to have some of my preconceived notions and biases challenged and changed and then to celebrate the amazing work that uh, indigenous, indigenous artists are doing. It's kind of like, for me, it's making space for the Indigenous worldview and for me to get out of the way uh, because my worldview has been expressed a lot and we can all see how that ended up not great so I'm ready for there another worldview to come into uh, you know could come into focus and you know I feel like music and opera it would were kind of like the last last to the party I think that indigenous artists have been celebrated more fully in music uh, in theater and uh, literature and dance than they have in music and opera. Like, you know, I've, I've, mm -hmm. the, I just feel like we're kind of late to the party. So I'm, I'm trying to do what I can to, to bring about that change. But these institutions that I'm talking about, they're like giant ships and they've had mm -hmm. their, their kind of, their progress and to, to kind of turn the ship around takes a while and a lot of effort. But it's, I really see, especially in the last couple of years in Indigenous opera, I feel like that's been happening more and more. Uh, Indigenous composers are coming forth and the quality of work that we're seeing and also the quality of the performers uh, is just it's great to see uh, the progress that's being made obviously there's a lot more to do but I feel like compared to five years ago even there's been uh, a really good and substantial change oh that's awesome I love hearing that <laughs> Yeah, it's such an interesting point of collaboration because opera is very much uh well, European art form in a way, mm -hmm. but it's it's cool to see it becoming something else almost. Well, opera mm -hmm. has its own op opera has its own baggage. It's like you say the word opera, yeah. people get a, a opera is as has as much baggage as the word church. You say the word church, yeah. everybody's got their own idea, right? And and, yeah. and lots of negative connotations with it and, and opera as well. But um, like, that's why, you know, people say, oh, is the piece an opera or is it, what is it? And I'm like, you know what? I don't even know if I want to answer that question because if I say it's an opera, then you're going to think a certain thing. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, um, we're still, it's still under discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So your co-director, Dr. Steele, speaks very much of relationship building as being a top priority within this production. How do you yourself prioritize relationship building? Well, you know, for me, uh, it's about putting relationships first and then everything else kind of flows out of that. I feel like that's, I feel like that's a great way to be in the world you know, in my past life, I was a commercial composer. I wrote music for films and television and documentaries and stuff like that. And it was, mm -hmm. it was very much transactional. There was, the mm -hmm. pressure was so incredibly great. The timeline was so insanely tight. And there was just, there was no, no time was taken by the people I was working with to get to know each other it was just like okay here's the scene so here's what we need and you got to do it right away and blah 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 and it was just it wasn't I didn't enjoy that um but I mean that was just the way it was earlier in my career and and now you know I was affected by that culture and I'm I'm 
I'm still kind of breaking out from that culture, but I much prefer to get to know somebody before working together. And, and ultimately, I think it's more rewarding. And, and I think actually the artistic output is stronger uh, when you take mm -hmm. the time to form a relationship with the person you're working with. That's really mm -hmm. cool. So other than relationship first or relationship building, are there any other values or principles that you seek to uphold in your artistry? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I guess, I guess, I guess, equity. Okay. And just that everybody—it's a very lofty and kind of grandiose ambition. But um, I think as artists, we do have a special platform, you know, um, because mm -hmm. people will come out and see our work, or listen to our work, or listen to us on a podcast if we're lucky. And maybe, you know, I think in the past it always was the artist that drove societal change and, and the, you know mm -hmm. the writers and the musicians and the filmmakers and uh, that kind of thing so you know I feel a I feel like equity is equity is a big one for me that just everybody regardless of their background uh, be treated uh, in an equitable manner hmm. cool. so kind of um, going back a bit to talking about decolonization but what would what would you consider your roles to be within the truth and reconciliation process, especially as a musician and artist? Well, um, like, with the, again, without sounding too grandiose, I feel that, that this piece could potentially be a major plank in, in the building of a truth and rec reconciliation structure because Suzanne and I, mm -hmm. we're like a microcosm of Canada, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a, a white male. She's an Indigenous woman. We're trying to work together to create something beautiful and meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the, all the, all the uh, encounters that we had and the deep discussions we've had and the traveling we've done and the people we've met and, the, and it's like it's been pretty fascinating to, to undergo. And uh, I also think that this piece, you know, it's, it celebrates the life of the Métis people and, and it kind of gives another side to the story of Louis Riel and the women in his life. But it is groundbreaking because most of the opera is going to be in Indigenous languages and the storyline is matrilineal and it's told from a woman's mm -hmm. point of view and I, I think there's a lot to celebrate there. And mm -hmm. also, you know, Suzanne and I, as co-directors of the project, we're basically in charge of casting the show. That means deciding who's going to sing what. And also hiring designers, either lighting designers or costume designers or video designers. And, you know, we're trying to uh, put an emphasis on engaging in Indigenous artists wherever possible. And mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, those are some of the things that we're trying to do to, uh, to, to try to do our part. And, you know, there, there have been and there will always be kind of bumps in the road, but the bumps that happen are less important than how you get over the bumps together. You know what I mean? Like kind of by listening and talking, taking the time to get it right. For me, a reconciliation is a process, not a product. And the journey that we're walking together is, mm -hmm. is very important. Yeah, that's so true. And yeah, I like what you said about how you're a little micro <laughs> version of the rest of Canada, your mm -hmm. relationship with Dr. Steele. And mm -hmm. just cause yeah, like, like a well t in talking about like the idea of relationship first you that's where it starts like you don't come up with these grand ideas you just start by meeting people and building relationships with the translators and the artists um 
and yeah that's where reconciliation can happen Mm -hmm. speaking of some really like profound relationship we have some very beloved indigenous translators that we're incorporating into our opera since most of our opera is in indigenous languages what is your process to compose music to indigenous languages that you've really never heard before yeah um it's been really fascinating and wonderful so basically the process is um so i have the script so suzanne has the english and then underneath it has the translation in the indigenous language. And then, as you know, we're, we've got this wonderful database uh, of videos of our translators and uh, speaking each particular line of the script in their language and with a subtitle underneath it. So what I do is I listen to each line and I speak along with them until I can pronounce it exactly the same way as they are pronouncing it. And then I write mm-hmm. that on my staff paper, my music notation paper, I write out the lyrics. I, I write that out and I write the English on top so I make sure I know exactly what it is being said. <clears throat> and then whatever the scene is that I'm working on, sometimes I come up with a melody first, sometimes I come up with a harmonic progression or if there's a mood, right? If, there, if it's a fight or if it's a love scene or it's out in the country, that's all gonna influence the kind of music that I come up with. And then once I kind of have the musical texture, then I find the melody and I kind of thread the melody through the texture, the musical texture that I've come up with and trying to capture the, 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 the rhythm of the language and where the, where the stresses fall in the language and where the beautiful vowels are so that the, you know, the singers love to sing on nice vowels so they try to find the vowels for the high notes so that the, the singers are happy with that. And, and I'm happy to say that when we have the translators come to the workshops and listen to our singers, they can understand everything they were saying. So that was like mm-hmm. really, really high praise indeed. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was very happy. And I'm just, I'm so, I feel so honored and fortunate that we have these fantastic translators uh, taking some time out of their lives mm-hmm. to help us with this project. Out of curiosity, a lot of people are pretty apprehensive of people taking Indigenous languages and putting them into a different style of music. Were you apprehensive about doing that as well? You know, I wasn't really, because as I got to know our translators and, and visit with them and, and talk to them about the story, I, I, I implicitly felt like they had their support. I felt that if mm-hmm. they thought it was a bad idea, they just would have they would have said, you know, thanks, but no thanks, we're not interested. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of see it, I kind of see what we're doing as a, as a marriage of, you know, the, the, the Indigenous languages and contemporary music. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, no, I think it's, as an, as an Indigenous person myself, I think it's a beautiful collaboration. Whether it's not we're taking a European style and mixing it with Indigenous, is we're showing the beauty and the life and giving a voice. And mm-hmm. I think that's the most important part at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear that from you too. That means a lot. Mm-hmm. So one of the songs in the dramatic musical that stood out to me when I first watched the workshop videos on YouTube um, was this song sung by the character Marie called The Mending of Violence Aria. And can you maybe tell us a bit of the story behind writing the music for that piece? And if you're willing, maybe play it for us? <laughs> sure, I can do that. Um, so 
a lot of the piece is based on the a lot of the music is based on the traditional Métis fiddle music. So mm-hmm. at some points, like in the scene where uh, Louis Riel meets his wife, Marguerite, at a dance, they're dancing. And the music you hear in the background is the Red River Jig, which is like the national anthem for the Métis Nation. So you hear the fiddler and the piano player playing the Red River Jig, and then I have woven their lines, their melodic lines, into the texture of the Red River Jig. So the Red River Jig is the foundation mm-hmm. of the music. Mm-hmm. So the and the fiddle is the is the main musical instrument, and the fiddle or violin is tuned in fifths. So I have my piano here. I'm just going to play the notes that it's tuned to. So here's the the lowest note is G. Can you hear that? Okay. Yes. Yep. Then the next yep. note is D. Then A. Then E. So those are the notes of the of the fiddle the open strings of the fiddle. So when I came mm-hmm. to write this um, piece, The Mending of Violence Aria, I only used chords based on those four notes. So here's my G That's chord. Cool. That's the uh, first uh, open string. Next open string is the D chord. And then the next open string is the A chord. Next open string is the E chord. So I had these four harmonies. So that's where I started. And then I came up with this little riff. So there's my G chord. So then I just combined the four chords. thing I came up with um, and then cool. the introduction to the piece was just open strings the violin playing uh, on the open strings and then playing harmonics too which you can't do on the piano but you can do on the violin it's like a very kind of mm-hmm. micro sound so that was kind mm-hmm. of my introduction and then I went into and then I just used so once I kind of had a bit of that texture, then I started thinking, okay, how do we, how am I going to make, set this music? Um, I'm trying to kind of go, there's, you know, it's kind of ugly. What's happening is the character is literally sewing together these two boxers that have been in a boxing match. So she's literally, mm-hmm. literally sewing skin and she's going, what strange violence is this? You know, I, I'm mending these men. So, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to create ugly music for that. Um, I wanted to create beautiful music. It was more like her. She's trying to, she's trying to make things better, just like the women in the opera and most women that I know are always trying to make things beautiful. And either, either they're creating stuff or they're mending stuff or repairing stuff. And um, so that is kind of what I, kind of what I had in mind. And here's a sample of Julie Lumsden singing Nia Mayageni Mock, I Find It Strange, the Mending a Violent Song in Soto. (laughs) 
And now, back to our conversation with Neil. Are there any other pieces you want to share about? Well, you know, talking about the, the, the fiddle. So here's the, the four notes of the fiddle, as I mentioned before. But if you play them together, you get like this kind of open sound. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I, so when the first thing that Riel sings in the, in the opera is he's, He's talking about being baptized in the in the Missouri River, and he kind of because he's a very religious man, he compares it to the the River of Galilee or the Jordan. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in Galilee. So using those fifths, I came up with this little kind of accompaniment. uses these open fifths because he's outside he's in he's in Montana I've been to Montana it's very wide open it's very similar to the prairies kind of very beautiful very stark and uh, so that was the music I came up for that oh that that gave me chills just listening to that to be honest (laughs) oh and you know what will you hear James sing that. I'm not a singer. Oh. When he sings this, it's just like, oh, <laughs> I you'll can <imagine>. melt. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what has been the most exciting moment of this production journey so far for you? I would say when we were in Regina for the premiere and um, um, the music that I had been working on for two years at that point, where I finally heard it live with a wonderful mm. orchestra and uh, their fabulous music director, Gordon Gerard, and all these great singers that we had found. And there was this, there's one spot where these, there's these two black geese that are characters in, uh, in the opera, and there's one who's a mezzo-soprano, one who's a tenor, and then there was Louis Riel, baritone, and uh, his wife Marguerite as a soprano, and, and they start off singing where basically the black geese are saying to Marguerite, you don't want to get involved with this guy because he's bad news. We know what his future holds. They're trying to warn her away, and she's saying to the black geese, the black geese are kind of fate characters, and she's saying to the black geese, no, leave, you know, leave me alone. I have the right to decide my own destiny. And it's just like, with the way I imagine it, it sounded even way way better than I ever could have imagined and I just hmm. was like going oh, 
I am in heaven. Composer heaven, listening to <laughs> listening to an orchestra and great singers perform your work. That is heaven for a composer. I can hmm. imagine, yeah. So while working on this project, you've also been working as a professor at CMU. Have you kind of, how have you balanced the two? And is there any ways that you have kind of brought this project into your teaching or... Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, uh, Jonathan Duick, who's the uh, vice president academic of CMU, has been very supportive of uh, me mm-hmm. uh, working on this project and also of uh, suggesting ways that I could bring it in. Um, so mm-hmm. I think when I was in Regina, I uh, I did some live streaming and talked about uh, talked about what I was doing, and I even played. I think I mm-hmm. brought some of the classes into a, a rehearsal that we were doing. And I've also used, you know, I've used, um, I teach music theory. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I use some of my own music as examples of, of some stuff that I've done to, to make a point about music theory. And I also teach composition. So sometimes I'll bring out a score and I'll say, you know, I did this here and this is why this worked. And I did this over here and this is why this didn't work. So it's really neat to be able to, to, be able to, use, uh, to use that music in, in my teaching. Mm-hmm. Would you say there was a mentor or m- more than one mentor who inspired you in all of your work? Well, you know, I, ca- I came kind of late to composition. I wrote three operas and then I decided to study composition. So I went to UBC and my two teachers there were Steve Chapman and uh, Keith Hamill. So I would say that they are my mentors. Uh, but also I have... I would say, you know, uh, Puccini is my mentor, and Benjamin Britten, and Mozart, <laughs> and uh, uh, Stravinsky, and, and composers like that. <laughs> um, so I've had I've had a lot of mentors, and also my very first mm-hmm. piano teacher, not my very first piano teacher, but Corinne uh, Wilson, who said to me while I was. Uh, flailing away in the first year of a science degree she said you know you should audition for the school of music and I did huh. and I thought it was a terrible idea at first I thought she was crazy and then it's like I've never looked back so I'm very huh. grateful for her to her as well that's funny I feel like I know I know a lot of science majors that ended up going into music really <laughs> just wanted something completely different yes. yeah I know it's kind of random <laughs> that's so funny uh, yeah Okay, so this is kind of our last question, but since the COVID-19 pandemic, we've all had lots of time to be at home with our families. Have you been up to anything interesting? Well, we recently got a new dog in January, just before Mm -hmm. the pandemic hit, so that was fantastic. His name is Arthur. He's a wee 90-pound puppy, and so we've been uh, getting to know him, and he's been getting to know us. He gets us out of the house so with my wife Rachel and my daughter Mirko, we go out regularly. There's a beautiful dog park near here that has a, a quarry full of water where he can splash around in because mm. he's part husky and part German shepherd. So the the, hmm. the the weather right now plus 25 is very, very hot for him. He <laughs> he yeah. prefers minus 25. So, <laughs> okay. uh, so we've been doing, you know, getting outside with that. And, and I also perform a fair amount with my wife. We've been doing some... Uh, webcasting and and doing providing music for some churches on the west coast and also providing music for uh, some churches in the UK 
So that's been really wow. neat and interesting, the, the mm -hmm. stuff that you can do via Zoom. So uh, yeah, never a dull moment. No, I'm sure not. Well, thank you very much for this wonderful conversation. I feel like I've actually learned a lot about the project that I'm working on. So that's always good. <laughs> yeah. And it's really great to hear, Neil, that you've, for me, from someone who is non-Indigenous, to reach out and to bring this story to life, to give it a better voice to me is just, I really appreciate, I really appreciate you for doing that. It's just a big step. So thank you. Thank you, Brina. And I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll see you later. <laughs> Sounds good. Take care. So, Hannah, out of all the things that this wonderful conversation brought, what are some things that stood out for you? Yeah, something that stood out to me, and it was similar to some of the things that James Westman brought up in his podcast, was just the idea of reconciliation and art really being based around just two individual people or just individuals who are willing to make the effort for relationship because often I think we think about reconciliation as this huge thing um, but something as small as writing a song together like Neil and Dr. Steele have done is is the first step of reconciliation so that's kind of what mm -hmm. stood out to me that's cool yeah I totally agree with that mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious to know if you can maybe expand a bit on the question you asked about uh, apprehension around Indigenous languages being used with Western music. I think where that comes from for me is because a lot of my teachings have been taught that Indigenous language, when we do put it into song, it's very ceremonial. Hmm. And in an opera, it's not such the same kind of it's not a ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of apprehension of not understanding that we're not taking original ceremonial songs that we've used for thousands of years. These are collaborative songs with just the Indigenous language and being brought into a total new perspective and new kind of type of music. And I think if people hear Indigenous music and opera, it's instant apprehension. Right. But once they open their hearts and their minds, they'll realize that, no, we're not using ceremonial songs. We're not um, disregarding the sacredness of those songs mm -hmm. this is completely different we're just using our anishinaabe moen languages mm -hmm. and i think that's a really beautiful thing yeah no it's something new it's not just taking mm -hmm. the old and trying to appropriate it in some way which i think was one yeah. of the problems with the other louis riel opera yes now it's time for a segment we like to call Anishinaabe Moen Phrase of the Day. I love you. Gizagin. Thank you, Marseille and Maguich, for listening to the Leak Your Podcast today. If you liked what you heard, you can find other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on our Podbean website. All you need to do is Google Leak Your Podcast. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Louis Riel, H-O-T-N, on Instagram at Heart of the North Riel, and on Facebook at Riel Heart of the North. We hope you have a wonderful day.